This morning I will again read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, but our focus will be on verses 5 through 7. And actually, it'll only be on the first uh, prepositional phrase of verse 5, so that's where we're going to be headed this morning. Uh, But I do want to read the whole thing to you uh, to place uh, the entirety of uh, this prologue in its context. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can open the Pew Bible to page 939. And again, I should remind you, there's plenty of Scripture journals on the back media table there. If If you'd want to pick those up, you can do that there also. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1, in God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the descendants of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of Rome, of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we spend some time... um, Studying your word, Father, I just pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds and that we would know and that we would not only understand the text, but to know how to apply it to our minds. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, this time is, is, is a time that would be uh, profitable for each and every one of us this morning. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have entitled this The Clarion Call though that title may not make a lot of sense this morning because it was not my, my plan uh, to break this portion up in, in two Sundays, but that's the way it works sometimes. But nonetheless, it's the clarion call. The clarion call. Many skip reading the introduction of a book and jump right into chapter 1. This is not helpful for the reader. The introduction to a book gives the reader an idea of what to expect throughout the book. Introductions also at times gives the reader the author's purpose for writing the book. The same is true for reading through books of the Bible and especially the letters. We often skim over the greetings of the opening few verses and jump into the heart of the book. But when we do this, we miss so much of the authorial intent. And this is why I started our preaching series through the letter of Romans the way that I have. I started with the message because Paul started with the message. And the message is the gospel of God. The content of the letter to the Romans is doctrine. It is heavy doctrine. It is essential doctrine. And Paul started with the most important part of any building project, the foundation. And the foundation upon which Paul built these doctrines is the foundation of the gospel of God. Everything in this letter will point back to the gospel of God. Paul's concern for the church at Rome, and by extension, everyone who reads this letter, is that the reader gets the gospel right. I cannot think of a more important message 
for the church at Holly Grove or the church in America than to make sure our foundation is solid and built upon the gospel according to God. We must make sure we get the gospel right. Not according to me, not according to you, and certainly not according to the culture, but we must make sure we get the gospel right according to God. And so in week one, we were introduced to the messenger, and then we were also introduced to the message itself. And in week two, our focus was on the antiquity of the message, and then it was on the subject of the message, and then it was a proof of the message. And so today, the heart of the message are two, two major themes throughout Paul's complete letter to the Romans, and that is the cost of the message, and the next Sunday, next Sunday will be the call of the message. And so today, our only focus will be on the cost of the message. The cost of the message in verse 5. And so in verse 5 there in your Bibles, if you would look at that, I want to read that little sentence one more time. It's actually, you know, the interesting thing is uh, this whole seven verses is one complete sentence. Paul is known to have run-on sentences. But in verse 5 it says, through whom we have received grace. And we're just going to stop right there today, and that's all the further we're going to go. And I I want to hone in on this right here this morning. And I want to go all the way back to to verse 1. And first start out with this, that the message of the gospel is indeed grace. The message of the gospel is grace, God's grace. And as we started, and as we started um, two Sundays ago, we started with Paul as the messenger as a slave of Christ, completely sold out, completely taken over, if you will, and turned into this message of the gospel. The message itself, of course, was the message of God, was the gospel of God. And then we've seen in verse 2 that this message was not a new message, but in fact this message was, it was promised from antiquity past, was promised through the Scriptures, by the prophet. The message is nothing new. The subject of this message was Jesus, the Son. And then we had the proof of the message, and the proof of the uh, reliability of this message was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, Paul is kind of giving us the gospel, giving us his whole letter in, in a few verses here, and of course he, he missed the big part. For somebody to, to, to rise from the dead, it means that they died, right? But Paul left that part out, and that's what we'll get to a little bit today. But the message or the proof of the message is that Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is no longer in the tomb. And so today we want to look at the cost of the message. But after four, I mean, think about this for a minute, right? These first four verses... They're just packed full of power. And after four power-packed verses, Paul finally gets to a we. He doesn't get to an I, but he gets to a we. You see it in verse 5. Through whom we. He finally turns this message of God and brings it to us. 
And that's where we're going to turn a corner in our study through Romans. And we're going to get to the we this morning. But first, I want to start with through. Verse 5. Through whom? Obviously, it's through Christ, through Jesus. But through gives us the sense of this is the avenue. This is the pipe. This is the, the power cord. This is the Ethernet cable. Whatever language you want to put there, but the message is only coming through one channel. And Paul says it's through Jesus, it's through Christ that the message comes to us. So it's through this avenue is Jesus to us, to those who are being saved. The message is for all, but Paul is speaking specifically here to those who are saved. And he continues, they have received, we have received grace and apostleship. The other thing we must, we must point out here this morning, which you already know this, is they have received it. It's not earned. It's not worked for. It's a gift. It's the gift that they received. It was nothing that they did to earn this message, the gospel of God. They have received it. Now, this should certainly cause your mind, possibly, elsewhere also, but Ephesians 2.8, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that, so that no one can boast. By grace... You have been saved. What is grace? Paul says it's by grace that we have been saved. What is grace? Well, grace has many definitions. And as with every word, the meaning must be defined in its context. So in a very broad and general understanding this morning, in fact... Let me just get honest with you this morning. As I was driving to church this morning, I might have been driving a little speedily. And before I knew it, I seen this vehicle is blending in with the snow. I think it was purposeful, but nonetheless. And of course, it was a police officer. And this police officer had grace on me and just waved as I went by. Now, obviously, I wasn't going over the speed limit by much. But, but, but often, isn't that, this, and I thought, God, that's grace. Isn't that often the way we think of grace? We think, now, that is grace. I think often the way we want to use grace. It's in a very broad and general way. It's a winning quality and attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction. It's graciousness. It's attractiveness. There's charm. There's winsomeness. That's just a very broad general that we often think of grace. And sometimes I think just because we speak the English language, obviously, that we think of grace in those terms. And I want to move beyond that 
maybe a little bit of a, of a, um, a superficial or shallow understanding of grace. It, 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 certainly we see it as grace. I appreciated the grace that I was shown this morning. But another way that grace is often understood is in a, in a very beneficent type manner, right, where there's just, a, there's just this disposition that a person has to do good works, to do good things, Right? That's just, just kind of how they're wired. That's their, that's their personality. They're just such a, a graceful, a gracious person. But here, here in our text, it's more of an exceptional effect produced by generosity. It's favor. It's favor. Divine favor. And so that's what we want to think about in grace here this morning. It's divine favor. Effects produced by divine, which go beyond those associated with a specific Christian's status. So it's these effects that are produced that gives us grace. Grace is the acceptance and the goodness towards those who cannot earn and do not deserve such gain. How do you define grace? We all experience it, we all say it, and when I say I was shown grace this morning, you understood exactly what I was, you understood that. But there's so many different ways that grace can be understood, and often when we think about the grace that we have been shown by God, we think of what? Two words. Anyone? The cross? Yeah. And we say, what is grace? We say it's unmerited favor. You've all heard that term, right? We say it's unmerited favor, and we get that, and we got that. And that's good, and that's great, and that's 100% a hearty amen. But I think sometimes, or at least maybe this is just me, but I think sometimes we need to take another view of grace, not because we don't understand it, but maybe because we understand it so much that we maybe have forgotten what grace looks like and what grace means. Grace, it's a major theme in Romans. In fact, Paul uses the word 21 times in Romans itself, simply as grace. And sometimes he also uh, translates, he says a few times, like, thanks be to God. Well, thanks be to God, and it's usually something about saving him, and that thanks be to God is the same word, cherish. It's the same word for grace everywhere else. But grace itself, 21 times, 122 times in the New Testament. In fact, it's the theme that runs throughout the whole New Testament. And so grace, what does it mean to have grace, to be shown grace? Through whom we have received grace. And so I'll probably never put a list together just like this again, and so bear with me. Um, hopefully you do find it meaningful. Um, we're going to cover all these themes throughout the letter of the Romans. But I just want to go down a little bit of list, and you may hear this defined at times as the doctrines of grace. Maybe you've heard that term, maybe you have not. And it doesn't, terms really don't matter because terms are just put on something so that in a huge package we can condense it down to just a few words and we know exactly what we're talking about. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and introduce that to you this morning or refresh your mind of that this morning if you're not that familiar with it. But the doctrines of grace simply state that every step of salvation from eternity past to eternity future is accomplished through God's grace. 
through God's grace. And here we come with the word grace again. And so often they're listed as five, but that's just very formulaic, and there's many more than that. In fact, I've got eight of them for you, and I'm going to cover them very quickly, so no worries there. We're not going to get bogged down in them because we're going to have a long time to go through them. In fact, your grandchildren may be out of college before we get through them, but nonetheless, we're going to get through them. And it's going to start with number one. And I'm going to give you the references. I'm going to read a few of them, but not many, but you can write them down for your own future reference to look at and to study through. But one is, is God's pre-creational choosing of the elect. That is God's grace. And I do want to turn to this passage. Um, it's, in a Corinth, or it's in Ephesians, which you know by now, Ephesians chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters. But in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul writes there, in fact, I'm going to go to verse 3, where Paul says, Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he, as God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before him, period. In love, he predestined us as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, of his grace. And so here we have it. Here we have that before the beginning, before the foundation of the world was ever established, God chose you. And he done it through his grace. God's inner call to the gospel. There's that inner call within, and that's grace. As God shows upon humanity and draws people lost, draws sinners to him. That's God's grace, 2 Timothy 1.9. God's regeneration of dead sinners in Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were yet dead in our sins, by grace you have been saved. God's gift of saving faith, Acts 18, 27. God's redemption of sinners, Ephesians 1, 7, according to the riches of his grace, God has redeemed sinners. God's sanctification of believers, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having sufficiency in everything, you have an abundance for every good deed. Hey, if there's a time such as this, and we see and we hear so many people wrestling even mentally and even emotionally and spiritually in this season of two years or whatever we have been in, if there's a message, church, that we need to hear, and that is the sufficiency of God's grace, the sanctifying nature of God's grace, that God isn't done with us, and that he continues to work in our life, right? And there's God's preservation of the saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 8. Those whom God saves, he brings it to completion. God's glorification of believers in 1 Corinthians 15, 59. But thanks be to God, there's our word grace, but thanks be to God who gives us victory. Through our, Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's glorification. There's redemption when we're saved. There's sanctification as we work through our life. Ultimate glorification is what we're going for when we go from this life to the next. Then we're perfected. God is at work. The grace of God is at work at every single one of those steps. Jonathan Edwards had this to say, those who have received salvation are to attribute it to the sovereign grace of God alone. Alone. There's really only one point to the doctrine of grace, and that is that God saves sinners by his grace and for his glory. We must understand the cost of the message. The cost of the message is great, is grace. Now, those points you may or may not align with you, but I think I think we all want to be shown God's grace. And yet grace is free. Grace is un this is God's unmerited favor. But this grace came by God providing salvation for sinners through Christ's sacrificial death. You see, and see, see that? I mean, I know in times we, we get this, we know this, and we want the grace, and we get all that, and yet we don't want to show anybody else grace, but yet we want God's grace. We must understand the cost of the message, and the cost of the message is God's only son. This is why we can have the grace that we have. This is why we can have the grace to, to show to others. And this is why we can have the grace to, and the life to live a victorious life. This is why we're not defeated when things go wrong or go bad in our life. Because of the sacrificial gift that we have been given. I want to I turn to Romans chapter 3 just briefly this morning. In Romans chapter 3, um, we'll get there in, in time. So I'm not going to totally exegete the passage this morning, though. I'd be okay. Um, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, we got that. We know that. For all have sinned and shall fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Through faith. And we're going to have to unpack that just a little bit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation by or through his blood. By grace of God, by the grace of God, we have been given a gift of justification. We have been given this free gift of justification, but no gift is free. The gift cost someone something, right? The gift cost someone something. And we see here in this verse that there, there is a free gift. And often we think of freedom, and often we see these signs that say freedom and free. We understand in all of life that freedom isn't free. And sometimes I wonder if we have more respect for those who give us the freedom in this country than the freedom that Christ has given us. We take it for granted, people. Listen. Grace is free. It is unmerited favor. But it costs someone something. Don't trample on it. 
Don't take it for granted. It's redemption, which came through Jesus Christ. Redemption is just to release. It's literally to release from slavery. That's the word. It's literally to be, it's to be acquitted. You are guilty. I'm guilty. God displayed as a propitiation. Now, that, that's a confusing word. but So God displayed as a propitiation. It's just the place of atonement. There's three different words for it. The one here is just the place. It's really like it's atonement. It's the day of atonement. It's the place of, of atonement where, 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 the, where, the, where, where the appeasement of God happened, right? But it's the means of how this appeasement happened. It's not the actual, it's the means by how it happened. And you put those two together, or we can also think of it as expiation. Maybe your translation has expiation. Expiation is EX, it's just, it's out of. And so, so what does that mean? Well, out of you comes your sin. This is literally what it means. And it was done through the propitiation, done through this event by nailing Jesus upon the cross. And it was through this that the sin came out of you. That's what Paul is telling us here. And you put those two words together. And you end up with another word, placation. Placate, we know what that means. Appeasement. The wrath of God has been appeased. And that's what we don't like to think about. We don't like to think about there was this God who had wrath and it needed to be appeased. But yet we want the grace that comes from that. And instead of spelling it out or thinking of it in those terms, we often just think of it as grace. Yes, we want this grace. But what was the cost of this grace? In Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul tells us there that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteous men who suppress the truth in righteousness. It's a verse we're very familiar with right here. The wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Paul tells us there, tells the church in Thessalonica, says that Jesus rescues us from the wrath of God to come. The wrath of God is coming, and Jesus rescues us from this wrath. In Romans chapter 5, verses, um, in verse 9, Paul writes there to the church and he says, Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We don't like to think about the wrath of God. But for us to have grace, what that means is that somehow the wrath of God, our relationship that has been broken with a holy, righteous God has been patched up. That has been fixed, right? I mean, that, in very simplistic terms, that's grace. But grace isn't free. Grace costs someone something. It costs the Father, His very Son. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, by grace of God, I am what I am. I love that verse. Because what I am often isn't very good. And evidently, I'm in good company with Paul. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, and his grace toward me did what? Did not prove vain. Paul understood that he is not, had not reached that place of glorification yet. Paul understood that he was yet a bit messed up. 
Paul understood, yeah, 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 he was a bit offensive sometimes. Paul understood that, yes, he said some things out of place and out of line sometimes. He didn't go running from the church, or he didn't go break off that relationship. Right? We trample on grace, and yet we demand grace. How's that work? The message of cheap grace makes no demands of the sinner. No repentance is required. No accountability is needed. I'm under grace. We'll get to that next week, antinomianism. But the acronym sometimes used for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, it works. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is free, but grace costs someone something. Grace costs God his very son. The cost of the message is great, and although free to all, it demands your all. It demands your all. Grace to us costs God his son. Grace is free, but it demands your sin. Grace is free, but it demands your life. It demands your life. Listen, church, I'm right there with you. So many times it can be so easy for me to go through life and just take grace for granted. Sometimes I can go through life and just say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm saved and, and God will continue to work in my life and save me and preserve me. That's all true. But grace costs someone something, and it demands your all. It demands your all because Jesus gave his all. Father, I, Father, when we think about grace in this way, when we back up just a little bit and revisit what we already know, Lord, sometimes it can get a bit heavy. And yet from revisiting that, Lord, it is my prayer that as we go through that and as we think about those things and what it costs you, Lord, I pray that from that we can rise from those ashes. Though as you were nailed upon that cross, evil thought that heaven had lost, and yet, Lord, you rose from the grave victorious. It is in that grace that we celebrate this morning. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.